The martial arts industry has been left behind for way too long, and it's time that we actually earn the respect of other industries. Hey everyone, welcome to our brand new format for the podcast, brand new name for the podcast. We did a complete rebrand, uh, and there's a reason for it, but we are officially now the Relentless CEO Podcast. Now, you may have noticed that we haven't had an episode out in a while, and that was intentional. And really what I've been focusing on is number one, building this amazing studio, but also uh, we've been rebranding our current martial arts school and, and really getting gearing up to launch a franchise for martial arts. So a lot of time and energy has been putting into the planning of that because uh, if you think about the amount of work it takes just to open a single location, there's a lot of work behind it. But then also at the same time, on top of that, we're doing a complete rebrand. We just redid our all of our curriculum and we have a, a podcast coming out with uh, Jotty Tension where him and I sit down and talk about that a bit more. Um, and really the goal of what everything that I'm doing in this industry, whether it's the agency, the mastermind, this podcast, social media posts is my purpose is to push the industry into the future. The martial arts industry has been left behind for way too long. And it's time that we actually earn the respect of other industries, uh, because I'm going to be totally blunt and honest with you. I, I just had a meeting with uh, some potential investors not too long ago. And as soon as we mentioned the words martial arts, it looked like they had some like bad food. Like the, the facial, uh, the facial uh, response was just like, ill. And once we started explaining really what the goal of the, the martial arts schools that we're, we're getting ready to open are all of a sudden we started getting the head nods. Because they didn't realize the character development, the life skill part, how we teach students emotional intelligence, financial management, all of those things, but using martial arts as a vehicle. And that's what really started to get them to lean forward and listen in to what we were talking about. And I, I think there's a, a stigma in the martial arts industry that, number one, everyone's closed-minded. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying this from outside perspective and what I've gotten from conversations with people in other industries. But number one, that everyone is closed-minded. Number two, that everyone is broke. And number three, that martial arts schools can't make money. And I'm not saying that any of those things are true, but from people outside the industry, they think that the martial arts industry is just sort of like teaching a YMCA still and like just super behind on the times. So with that being said, okay, my purpose is to make martial arts schools more business focused in the sense that it's systemized, it's scalable, and that the growth is actually sustainable because the proper systems and people are in place. I also want to help martial arts schools to become more profitable and more profit focused. There's a very false stigma in our industry that you cannot have quality martial arts students and make money, that you have to choose one or the other. And the only people that I see crapping on martial arts schools that are, are successful are usually martial arts schools that aren't successful. And they've never seen the students, they've never seen the floor, and they're just calling you to make dojo because of their own limiting beliefs of what is able to be accomplished in martial arts. There's no other industry that that I've heard of that is like, oh, you can't have a quality product and be successful. You have to choose one or the other. But for some reason in the martial arts industry, you have to pick. You can't be both. 
Well, I want to change that because it's something that's holding our industry back. And I encourage everyone that's listening to this podcast, the next time you hear someone use the term McDojo, the next time you hear someone uh, talk down about a, a successful martial arts business, please check that person. Like put them in their place because those are the type of people that are holding the industry back, right? There's one thing about staying with tradition, right? Because you like the art and, and, and all of those things, but we shouldn't be living in the 1990s still with business practices. We shouldn't be living in the 1990s still with how far we're going to innovate, right? There is so much opportunity in this industry for growth and all of us, every single one of you that's listening to this podcast knows the type of impact that you have on your, your students' lives, okay? Both inside the martial arts school and outside the martial arts school. And the way that we make a bigger impact is we generate more profit in our business. How many homeless people have you seen making giant impacts in their community? And then reverse that, how many people with money do you see making impacts in their community where they're doing things for charity, they're doing community outreach, they're putting together different programs to make the community a better place. At the end of the day, profit provides more opportunity for impact. Listen to that one more time. Profit provides more opportunity for impact. And the school owner that says, well, I'm not in it for the money, I just wanna help people, you are full of shit. You have a limiting belief. Yes, I will repeat that, you are full of shit. And here's why. You are using the reason that you don't know, or the, the reason for not knowing business systems, for not knowing how to generate profit in your business, you are making an excuse for yourself for not being able to acquire those skills so you're just like, oh, I just want to help people. If you really wanted to help people, you would try and be generating as much profit as possible because we know that with more money, you can create more opportunities. You can create more opportunities for your students to train in a better facility, to have outside instructors and experts come in and train with them as well. You can provide way more opportunity for your team members so you can actually pay them a living comparable to other industries are better than other industries. And you have more opportunity to use that money for good in your community. So stop saying that, hey, I'm only doing this because I wanna make an impact. I don't care about money. Because if you actually cared about making an impact, you would also care about making money. Does that make sense to everyone? And, uh, and then the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I'm tired of us as an industry shooting ourselves in the foot over and over again, year after year, because we have limiting beliefs stopping us from being successful and limiting beliefs that are stopping us from getting where we need to go. And if we really wanna do this and we wanna create this movement to push our industry into the future so people are looking at it from other industries and saying, man, how do I get in the martial arts industry? How do, I, how do I generate the income that they're generating while making the impact that they're making? That's the goal of everything that I'm doing. Everything that we're launching, every service that we have, every company that we're starting, is to make a bigger impact and push the industry into the future. And I'm telling you guys right now, if you guys 
are against innovation when it comes to curriculum, when it comes to business systems, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to the experience you're providing, okay, if you're against innovation and you want to be stuck in your ways, there's going to come a point where you get passed up. You're going to become the blockbuster of the martial arts industry instead of adapting and becoming the Netflix of the martial arts industry. All right, we have to innovate in as many ways as possible because we owe it to our communities. We owe it to our students. We owe it to our team. And I'm hoping to help really open up some eyes and, and really make some drastic tra- changes and improvements to a system that's been broken for way too long. And I'm hoping that as you guys follow this podcast and you sort of follow the, the online journey, because I'm going to be documenting everything in this process, that I hope you guys join and be a part of this movement to push the industry forward. And I, I hope you really edit your inner circle and who you're listening to in this industry. Because if, you, if you're if you following someone with limiting beliefs, like those limiting beliefs are going to be absorbed by your brain, all right? And you're going to start to take on some of the same limiting beliefs. You're going to start to create some of the same excuses that the people you're following are creating for themselves as well, okay? And I'm, I'm tired of having an industry where we're okay with excuses for not being successful. And we're okay with excuses for why we're not making a bigger impact, we can do better as an industry. All of you that are running a martial arts school, you guys know how hard your job is. It's not easy. You're dealing with parents all the time, right? You're, you're helping kids to learn a new mindset, to develop new skills. You deserve to make a healthy living off of what you're doing. You deserve to be able to build a legacy for your family and for your kids because of what you're doing. And the only thing that's stopping a lot of martial arts schools from building this legacy is their limiting beliefs and their mindset about what they're doing and why they aren't where they need to be. And I hope you guys join with me to push this forward. And part of the part of the reason we switched the name of our podcast from Relentless Entrepreneur to Relentless CEO is I think our industry has had entrepreneurs for too long And we need to start thinking differently. We need to start thinking of our business from a CEO viewpoint. CEOs think differently. Okay, if we think about a CEO, like successful CEOs running profitable companies that are doing good, okay, they make logic and data-driven decisions on a daily basis. They're not leading their decision-making process with emotion or feelings, if you were at the Relentless Summit, you heard Tim Grover speak. Okay, When Tim Grover was talking, he said, if, if you want to win, okay, you don't need to be heartless, but you have to use your heart less. Okay, And what he's saying is when we let our emotions take control of us, we don't make sound decisions in anything. We don't make sound decisions in our personal life when we're stressed, overwhelmed, when we're angry, upset, frustrated, worried. None of those lead to good decision-making. Okay, but when we're able to actually work on our emotional intelligence, take a step back and really just look at data and facts, your decision-making process immediately becomes better. Okay, I guarantee it because I've seen it with myself. Okay, I used to be horrible with emotional intelligence. If I was frustrated, I would act on my, my decisions out of frustration. If I was stressed, I would act on my decisions out of stress or desperation. I didn't get anywhere by doing that. 
Okay, as soon as I actively started working on my emotional intelligence and really started studying other CEOs, reading books by CEOs and seeing how they're building their companies, where they went wrong, how they developed their emotional intelligence, and I started to mimic that, that's when I started to become successful. That's when I started to see massive gains in not only just income, but also in being able to build my team and being able to pay our teams more as a result, because we became more profit focused. We, we knew how to structure everything financially. We, we knew how to budget. Okay. We knew how to make sure that we were thinking profit first with our revenue and not thinking of profit as whatever's left over. And I'm like, and I want, I want to encourage everyone to do the same thing. Okay. And, and part of the goal of this podcast moving forward is yes, we're going to have guest speakers in here regularly. We're going to a video format because I want to be able to engage with all of you guys listening and watching to this uh, podcast even more. And everyone that we're bringing on this podcast is going to be on this podcast to give you information, tools, and knowledge that are going to help you to develop into a better CEO of your business. And we'll continue to talk to people in the industry that are doing great things, but we're also going to be bringing a lot of people from outside the industry into this podcast because... My success that I've gotten so far in this industry has not come from within this industry. Yes, I've learned a lot from great people like Dave Kovar, Jody Tension, uh, and, and really a, a lot of awesome people in this industry, but the most that I've gotten has come from outside the industry. It's come, come from learning from the hospitality industry, okay? from learning from Zappos, from uh, going to uh, events and, and learning about what people in the real estate industry are doing. And basically what I'm seeing is I'm seeing these different strategies and tactics being done at a scale that's never been done before in the martial arts industry. And what does that mean? It means that they have more data to look at for why they're actually doing what they're doing because they're doing these for millions of people. Whereas in our martial arts industry, we're doing these for hundreds of people. Okay. So they have more data to look at and more proven strategies of what works. And my goal is to bring as much of that information from other successful industries into our industry. So now that we can see what working for other people, now we can tailor that to our industry and take our industry into the future so we can make martial arts a respectable industry that every single entrepreneur wants to be a part of. And I'm sure all of you guys would appreciate being on board with that. Now, it all starts for us with mindset, okay? And we talked. I talked a lot about limiting beliefs and really in order for you to take the next step in your entrepreneur journey or your journey as a CEO, okay, it, it comes with changing our mindset. And I had an interesting uh, call with one of my mentors one time where I was, I was talking to him about uh, work-life balance. And uh, I was like, man, I, when I'm at work, like I feel guilty for not being with my family. And when I'm with my family, I feel guilty for not working. And I'm like, I don't know how to get out of this sort of like, giant loop that just keeps happening over and over and over again. So he said, Hey, Adam, do you have core values for your business? And I go, absolutely. He goes, all of your businesses. I go, absolutely. We all have, we have core values for every single one. He goes, what about your personal life? What are your personal core values? And I, I never until that point created a list of personal core values. It was just living by what I thought were rules that I set my, for myself but his conversation with me was this. He said, Adam, he goes, if you don't create core values for yourself, okay, you'll accept anything that happens in your life. Okay, your core values are your boundaries for what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in your personal life. And if you actually don't spend time sitting down and creating these things, your mindset about 
being a better parent, being a better dad, being a better CEO, uh, it's not going to get any better. So right after the call, I sat down and I started working on core values. And these core values have changed throughout the last year. Okay, There have been some improvements, been some additions, all of those things. But what I want to do is I actually want to share my personal core values with you guys um, because these are things that, for me, really changed my mindset and my actions behind what I was doing. And I, I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys. I have not always been a good husband. I've not always been a good father. I've not always been a good leader or CEO. Okay, I've failed multiple times at many things in each one of those categories. But the one thing I've done is I've learned from all of those failures. I've learned how to change, improve, and overcome as a result of those failures. And I've surrounded myself with the right people to hold me accountable and to guide me in the right direction when I start leaning back towards failing again. And the core values are something that I have on my notes that I look at every single morning on my phone to remind me of, hey, what is acceptable in your life today? Okay, and what is not acceptable? What are the non-negotiables that you are gonna live by every single day? So I wanna share these with you because I, I hope it inspires you guys to sit down after this podcast episode and write up your own, own personal core values. What are your non-negotiables in your own life that are gonna help you to take it to the next level? Because I know a lot of you guys are, are listening to this and you're like, Adam, I just want business advice, man. Like, Just tell me what to do with my business. And I get that. But your business isn't going to change until your, your mindset changes. All the problems you have in your business are not business problems. They are personal problems that are affecting your business. Okay, In essence, it's your mindset or your lack of growing your mindset or your, or your limiting beliefs is really affecting the output of your business. And as soon as you start to change those limiting beliefs, as soon as you start to really work on developing this on a daily basis you all see growth within your business as a result. You'll see your relationships with your team, with your spouse, with your family improve as a result. So let's jump into this. Okay, so I have 10 of these, all right, which seems like a lot, but I review them every day. Uh, number one, be coachable every damn day. Um, we talk a lot in our industry about having a white belt mindset, okay, and a white belt mindset is great, okay, but we do we actually like show that every single day i used to be the guy that would prejudge freaking everybody right i would see someone i would instantly start judging them and and start thinking well what is what does this person have to teach me or i'll i'll see someone and i'll be like if they were more successful than me and i'll just be like oh that guy's probably a, an asshole he's probably a jerk all right and that was my mindset going into it masterminds and meetings and all this stuff. And it did me no justice. I got no growth whatsoever from that mindset. And I'm going to tell you two stories about what really changed this for me. First one was I was at a charity event on this, on this yacht and they were auctioning off a painting. And this charity event had some of the biggest entrepreneurs that you've heard of, right? Authors of successful business books, all these great people, right? And I see these three teenagers walk on the boat and prejudgment instantly goes off. And I see these guys and I was like, why are there teenagers on this boat? Like, like this is for, for you had to buy a ticket to be on the boat in the first place. Okay. And it was uh, an exclusive list of people that were invited to it. And I was like, why are these teenagers here with all of these like really smart business people? So this auction starts 
during dinner where they're auctioning off this this beautiful painting, one of a kind painting, and everyone's bidding five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand. This thing ends up selling. I might get this wrong. It was for uh, like four hundred thousand dollars, and I I might be remembering the number incorrectly. It was for a, a ton of money though, right? So this thing goes for four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. And I'm looking around, I'm like, who won this painting? You know who won that painting? Those three teenagers. They were the ones that bid the most for the painting. So these kids that I'm prejudging because they're age, that walked on this boat with all these successful entrepreneurs, we end up finding out that they are the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest groups of people on the boat. They were TikTok influencers that had a lot of money. And what did they do with that money? They bought a painting where all of that money went to charity. And here I am with limiting beliefs and a limiting mindset, prejudging these guys without knowing anything about them, but just because they're young and they're on a boat with successful people. Like it was instant humbling of what I'm doing when I prejudge. The, the second story that I want to share with you is uh, also at another mastermind. So I'm, gonna, I'm sitting in this mastermind and uh, I would say out of every event I've been to, this was probably the room that I was the most in awe with. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing Grant Cardone in the room learning. I'm seeing Sean Whalen, who owns Lions Not Sheep in the room learning with us. Garrett White's in there learning with us. Uh, on my left side is uh, the, author, the author of Giftology. And then on my right side at this table, it's probably the oldest person in the room. He's probably... Uh, like mid to late 60s, uh, he's, he's dressed nice, sort of looked like a banker or, or something, but I have no idea who this guy is. He's not saying anything the entire time, but I'm looking around and I'm like, man, Grant Cardone's here, Garrett White's here. Like, I can't believe I'm, I, I'm fortunate enough to be in this room. And Grant Cardone gets up and starts speaking and gives this really great speak. He's like, hey, is Barry here? And I'm like looking around, I'm like, who's Barry? And this the, the guy next to me in his 60s like raises his hand and waves. He's like, guys, if you don't know this guy, you need to meet him. He manages like $40 billion a year of revenue. And I'm, I'm like looking at the, the quietest dude in the room, the oldest dude in the room, sitting right next to me, the wealthiest dude in the room, in this room of absolute killers. Again, you have to be coachable from everyone. So my mindset has changed is that I now go into the room with curiosity. I go in those rooms with curiosity, not judgment. And knowing that I can learn something from any single person in the room. I can't tell you how many times my seven-year-old has said something to me that was like either a gut check or a learning moment as a parent for myself. You can learn something from anyone. Doesn't matter what belt they are. Doesn't matter how successful they are. Doesn't matter what their age is. You have to be coachable in every single conversation you have. Number two, Live with integrity. I do what I say I'm going to do, and I don't do what I say I won't do. I'll be quick to take blame and quicker to self-correct. Um, for me, integrity is just doing what you say you say you're going to do, but also it's the opposite of that. If you say you're not going to do something, then it's sticking to your guns and keeping your word and not doing it. So that means if I'm telling myself for integrity that I'm not going to eat shitty food, then integrity means I'm not going to eat shitty food, right? Um, and I think the the second part of that is in all of my companies, the one thing that's made me a better leader is I've become, I've ne never been afraid to take blame for what's going wrong in the company, right? As the CEO, we are the leader of our companies. 
And that means that we have to have extreme ownership. We have to take responsibility when something goes wrong. Even if we don't feel like it's our fault, it's still our fault, okay? Anything that happens in your business is because you allow it, you permit it, and by doing both those things, you've promoted it, okay? So again, if it's something bad happening in my business, even if it's something that my team member did wrong, even if it's something that, uh, that happened between two parents in, in the building, okay, anything that happens in your business is because you allow it, you permit it, and thus you promote it. So at the end of the day, it's on me no matter what. If my team member makes a mistake, it's because I allow it, allowed it, permitted it, and promoted it. I, maybe I didn't train them enough. Maybe I didn't actually oversee them after I trained them. Okay, But it all comes back to me at the end. And the reason I'm telling you guys this and, and why this is so important is when you take the blame for everything that goes wrong in your business, it gives you the control to actually fix those things that are going wrong in your business. Right, And I always assume that I'm making the mistake before blaming anyone else, which means even when a team member has a massive mistake, I'm sitting down and I say, hey, this happened. I don't know if I communicated this effectively enough to you. Did I communicate this in a way that was understandable? Because if not, I will work on my communication. And just by taking ownership in those moments, it leads by example in the sense that my team takes more ownership on their mistakes. So a lot of times when I had that conversation, my team member is looking at me and they, you know what? You did communicate the right way. I messed up. I made the mistake and I know that I'm not going to let it happen again. Okay. You leading with ownership shows your, shows a great example for your team that number one, like we want you to be vulnerable and take responsibility, but also number two, I'm not a perfect human being. Okay. Cause your team puts you on a pedestal. Like, and a lot of martial arts instructors love being on that pedestal so much that they just let it ego, 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 and nothing is ever their fault in their business. Okay. It's always their employee's fault. It's always their team member's fault. It's always the, 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 the area, the parents in the area, whatever it is that they can find as something to blame, they find a reason to blame it. You will never grow doing that. You will never find people that are loyal to you and that will want to grow with you by doing that. So the blame always goes on us. And guess what happens as a CEO? It's a tough job. When we win, the victory goes to our team. The victory isn't like, oh, I did this. I crushed it. No, it's always about the team. Okay. When we see some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL after a win, they're never like, oh yeah, I crushed it. Like it was all about me. If I didn't get those 350 yards and three touchdowns today, like we wouldn't have even had a chance in this game. That's not leadership. Okay. Leadership is being able to share the victory with other people or give the victory to other people and take all the responsibility on, on yourself when everything goes wrong. Right. That's what being a true leader is. And for me, that's a good reminder to start my day is that, hey, like I'm going to take personal responsibility for anything that happens in the day today. Good, bad, whatever. It, it all it all stops with me. But that also gives me the power to make changes and fix those things and learn from those mistakes so we cannot repeat them for the future. Number three, I will protect the culture of my inner circle by ensuring the highest quality people are a part of it. No friends, only allies, no leeches, only givers. If their mind isn't ready, they don't get in. Man, have I made mistakes with my inner circle in the past? <laughs> um, it's funny, uh, 
when we think of the, the people that are around us, all right, and, and as you start to become more successful in your business and, and in, your, in your mindset and your personal development, okay, you're gonna start to see that there's some people that don't understand the sacrifices that you're making to get where you need to be, okay? And often, they will start to crap on your dreams. They will start to say undermining phrases to you and statements to you. And a lot of it will be like, man, you work too hard. Or why do you work so much? You deserve a break. You should take a vacation. Like, why don't you just like relax? Those people don't understand the sacrifice that it takes to become successful in life and in a business. And that's why they're defaulting to those statements, right? We don't want to be around people that are, are feeding our brains doubt, okay? Because they don't understand what it takes to become successful. Also, if you're talking about your dreams and they are shitting on your dreams and they're shitting on what you want to do with your life, those people are not allies to you, okay? Again, the reason they're shitting on your dreams is because they can't fathom those dreams in their own life. Hurt people hurt people, right? They don't, they don't have their life together, so they want to make it so you are staying where they are, right? It's like the bucket of crabs theory, okay? You put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, none of them are getting out because as soon as one starts to climb to the top, everyone else grabs them, pulls them back down to the bottom of the bucket. For you guys, I, I really want to encourage you to do two things, and these are things that I've done multiple times in my life. Number one, create your top five list. Write down the five people you wish you had in your inner circle. And they can be anybody, right? I don't care if it's someone you've never met before, write it down, hey, I want this person in my inner circle. I can't tell you how many times there was something that someone that I looked up to, maybe it was an author, maybe it was just someone I saw speak in an event, and I was like, I need to find a way to get this person in my inner circle. I need to find a way to, to be able to do, build a relationship with this person. So I can just pick up the phone and call them at any time and then just pick their brain or, or give value or share ideas or, or whatever needs to happen. But I know I need that person in my inner circle to help me grow. And I would make my list in my top five. Every time I make that list in my top five, usually within 12 months, I've figured out a way to connect with one of those people so that I could start building a relationship with them or I could start adding value to their life first so that they can add value back to me in return. And the hardest part of this is what I call firing your friends. And I would say in the last 12 months, I had to fire multiple friends from my inner circle. And the reason was is because they just weren't willing to grow or work on themselves. They just wanted to be along for the ride and have fun. And I get having friends, but it doesn't mean you have to have them in your business. It doesn't mean that you have to have them around you, okay? Friends are people that are fun to hang out with. Allies are the people that are like, if I was going to war today, I'm bringing these people with me because I know that they're gonna look out for me. I know that they're gonna protect me, and I know that they're gonna hold me accountable as well. Like the people in my inner circle now, if I put my foot on the gas, I know that they're going to grab my knee and shove it down harder and be like, no, motherfucker, you got to go faster. Those are the people I want around me. I also know that all of these people in my inner circle are not afraid to call me out on my bullshit. So if I'm doing something that they know is against my core values, if I'm doing something that is not in the best interest for the future of the company or the future of the industry, these are the people that are going to sit down and call me out on my bullshit. 
and they're doing it because they genuinely love me and they genuinely want to see me succeed. They are happy for my success. They're not jealous about the success. They're not worried about if I move too fast and go and what happens if I leave them behind. They're not worried about that. They are worried about making me the best possible version of myself. Okay, and I love that transparency. My business partner, Travis, who a lot of you guys have heard at one of our events or on the podcast, like one of the, the first times that I knew we were gonna click is we, we sat down, out. I think we we're at an event, and he goes, hey, he goes, can I tell you the thing I hate the most about you? <laughs> and most people are like, man, that, that guy's a dick. But for me, I was like, this is the right guy to have in my inner circle because most people wouldn't care about me enough to give me feedback about what they think my worst quality is. And when he said that, I was like, absolutely. I was going, what is it? He goes, you can't take a damn compliment. Every time someone compliments you, you're like, oh no, like uh, I'm, just, I'm still working on it, blah, blah, blah. He's like, just say thank you and shut the fuck up. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I was like, that, was, that was good feedback. I appreciate that. But it, it requires having those people in your circle that are willing to just be direct with you. And they're not worried about your feelings because they know whatever they're gonna tell you is something you need to hear in order for you to grow and get to the next stage of evolution in your life, okay? When you make your top five list, I also want you to make a list of your current five. Who are the current five people that you spend the most time with? And then I want you to look at the current five and I want you to think, out of this current five, how many of these people are actually allies? How many of these people really wanna see me succeed? How many of these people are going to go to war with me? How many of these people aren't just along for the ride, but they really are gonna push me to become a better version of myself because they wanna see me succeed. They wanna be happy for my success. And I can't stress this enough, sometimes it's family you have to cut out, okay? I, one of the things that I, I never look forward to doing, and I'm just being transparent, I'm sorry for all my friends and family that live in Chicago, I don't look forward to going back to Chicago, okay? A lot of you guys know I'm, that's where I'm from. And the reason I don't really look forward to going back to Chicago too often is because there's so many people that I used to hang around or old friend circles or old family there that have never worked on developing their mindset. They've never worked on becoming better. So they just see me as like some rich asshole when I go back or they don't understand like the the success side of things and the sacrifices that I've I've had to go through to get to where I am. And the, as soon as I get around them, they're like, "Man, you you're doing stuff all the time. Like, why don't you just take a break? Why don't you just go on vacation?" They start putting all these limiting beliefs in my head. I don't want to be around that. So it's one of the reasons I don't really look forward to going back to my hometown because I know where I'm at right now. I'm surrounded by the right people. I'm surrounded by the the group of allies that I want. All right, next part. I will always invest in the betterment of myself as a businessman, husband, and father, and never feel guilty for doing so. All right? I will always invest in myself for the betterment. Man, I used to have like this guilt that I would get when I would invest in myself for whether it was money, time, energy, whatever it is, because I always thought there was something else that I was leaving out while I was investing in myself. And the, the truth of the matter is this, the way that you become a better parent, a better partner to your significant other, a better CEO or business person is actually investing in yourself. Because I know when I invest in myself, I'm giving knowledge that makes me better with relationships. 
I'm gaining knowledge that makes me better at leadership. Okay. And for the longest time, I'd always feel guilty for writing that check for that event. Okay. Or even guilty sometimes for going to the gym because I wasn't spending time with my family or I wasn't spending time at the office. As soon as I got rid of that limiting belief, every area of my life improved. I started to become a better father as a result, become a better husband and partner, become a better CEO, become a better leader. And I started to see massive growth in multiple areas just by removing the the limiting belief that, hey, I shouldn't be spending time on making myself better. I shouldn't spend time on investing myself because I have to serve everybody else. As a CEO, do you have to serve everybody else? Yeah, there are absolutely times you have to serve everybody else, but you can't serve them to your best ability if you're not serving yourself first, okay? If you're not investing in yourself, making sure that your health is on point, making sure that your mind is on point, you're constantly learning, you're reading books, you're going to seminars, you're you're taking courses, and then lastly, you're actually implementing and taking action on what you're learning. If you're doing those three things, you're gonna become better in every aspect of your life. So never feel guilty for spending time on yourself, for working on yourself, for investing in yourself, or investing in your business. Um, number five, my family is never the backup plan. They are the priority. I don't give them my leftovers. I give them my everything. I will never say I'm too tired when it comes to family. Um, at the last summit, I gave a, a very transparent speech about my time in New York Okay, and, and living out there. And uh, the biggest mistake that I made in New York City when I was living there is I put work before everything. Okay, There was no balance whatsoever. It was me working 8.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. most days of the week. Sometimes I was there to 11. Okay, When I was in the office, most nights I was the last person to leave. That means after the CEO, the COO, the CFO, all the C-level people left, I was usually still there working. And the the reason was is because I wanted to gain skill and I wanted to really see the company I was working for succeed and I wanted to will it to succeed and will it to have a culture change and to get better. But I put so much energy and time into work that when I came home, my family just got the leftovers. I was drained. I was tired. I didn't have energy. So when I get home, my kids would ask to play and I'm like, ah, daddy's tired. Like, why don't we play this weekend? And what happened on the weekend? I would still end up working and then I wouldn't play with the kids. Or even when I come home and my wife wanted to hang out or watch TV, I'm just like, babe, I'm tired. Like, I just want to, I just want to relax. Or if she want to go do something on the weekend, I was like, I just, I, I need some time to just like chill. And my family always got the leftovers. They never got the main course. Right. And that was on me. It wasn't on my bosses where I was working. It wasn't on anybody else. It was on me. Okay. Because I control my own actions. So I had to learn to make time for my family and to make it a priority and not just give them whatever time was left over. For me, the, the, the way that this changed is, number one, I created these core values, but number two, I made it a priority to time block for my family. And some of you guys might think like that's inauthentic, but for me, I am a time block person. I'm a, my day is planned out to the T. If my schedule or calendar is not set up like it's supposed to be. It is like my number one pet peeve, but whatever is on my calendar happens. So if I'm putting meetings on my calendar, it means that I must think those meetings are important for me to block time out for them, right? Well, why wouldn't I do that for my family? Why wouldn't I time block out for my family if they're the most important thing in my life, but I'm willing to time block for a meeting, 
So that had to change. So it, it became like, hey, Saturdays are date nights. Like no matter what, if there is a Saturday, my wife and I are going out and, and we're having a date. It also became, you know what? We are going to trade money for time. We're going to hire a nanny to watch the kids in the morning so that my wife can have her time, that I can have focused work time, so that when I'm actually home for dinner, I can have focused family time. I'm not on my phone looking at emails. I'm not at my phone checking text messages. Do I still default to this sometimes? Absolutely. I'm not perfect, okay? But has it gotten way better than it was a year ago, two years, years ago, three years ago? Absolutely, okay? And then when I'm at the karate school, it's for my kids' classes most of the time. And when my kids are in class, I'm dad mode. I'm the number one cheerleader. I'm cheering them on. I'm watching class. I'm, I'm, I'm being a part of what they are doing. Okay. But family time has to be intentional. All right. Otherwise it becomes leftovers. Okay. And, and you're talking to a guy that almost lost his marriage because he was so used to giving his family his leftovers. And luckily I have a kick-ass wife that would not quit on our marriage that had the patience of a saint that was like, no, we're going to fix this. We're going to work through this. We're going to go to therapy and we're going to make this better. Not everyone is fortunate to have a wife like that or to have a significant other that is willing to have that patience to work through things. I got lucky, guys, and I don't want you to make the same mistake. Be intentional with your family time. Be intentional with your spouse time. Make it a non-negotiable. Okay, I don't ever work Saturday nights. I will never schedule anything for a Saturday night except for time with my wife to do a date night or time with my family. Number six, I'm a full partner in my relationship. Just like a business partnership, the best way to split a nickel with your partner is they get three, I get two. It's not my wife's job to raise the kids and take care of the house. We are partners and we do it together. Some of the worst advice I was ever given by someone that was a mentor at the time not the right mentor. I edited my inner circle. But uh, he goes, Adam, he goes, what does your wife do for a living? And, and at this point, she had just begun being a stay-at-home mom. Uh, and I was like, well, she's a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, and he's like, okay. And he's like, so why are you worried about doing the dishes when you get home? Why are you worried about cleaning? And he goes, if you're bringing home the money, then your wife needs to be doing everything at the house. This is how it works. He goes, when you get home, like dinner should be ready. And you guys obviously can already hear that this is the worst advice ever given, but Adam at the time looked up to this person so much that as like their word was law. I didn't even question it. I was like, yeah, you are right. Like if I'm, if I'm working all day, like when I get home, house should be clean. I shouldn't have to do anything at home because I'm doing everything at work and my wife doesn't have to work. She's, she just gets to be home. That's the dumbest mindset I've ever had in my life. Like the dumbest. I'm pretty much saying, Hey, we're going to start a family. We're going to make three, three boys. And then you have to do everything to take care of them, raise these kids and take care of the house because I have a job. That makes absolutely no freaking sense. I'm going to, at some point I snapped out of it, but it took a lot of turmoil in our relationship. It took the, the divorce word coming up in our relationship for me to step back and realize like, Dude, you are being a horrible husband and a horrible father just because of this stupid mindset that you have and this horrible advice that you took from someone else and then acted on. It was my fault. So for me, 
I, I'm a partner in the marriage. Like it's, it's not like my wife should do everything. When I get home, if there's dishes in the sink, I'm going to help out and I'm going to do the dishes. Uh, if my wife is making dinner, then I'm going to start vacuuming or I'm going to play with the kids or I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be a fully committed partner in this relationship and not see it as a one-sided partnership where they have to do all the work and I just get to come home, chill and relax. Like there's no benefit that comes from doing that. So be a full partner. Next, I will be fully and authentically me on a daily basis. I don't need people to like me. I'm unaffected by others' opinions of me. Man, I used to be such a people pleaser growing up. Uh, younger Adam, 25-year-old Adam, used to do whatever it took to get admiration from people. Now, if you know me, you know that I don't, I don't really give a shit about what other people think. Um, it's really about... How can I best serve people and be the most authentic version of myself? And I know that people will listen to this podcast or will, will listen to my videos. That sometimes they'll they'll be like, "Man, I don't I don't really like that you curse. Like I don't like that you swear." And let me be very clear: Do I ever curse out my team? Do I ever swear at my team? Absolutely not. Like I'm never gonna show that disrespect. But I was raised in a household with household with language. I grew up in Chicago. I lived in New York, okay? And if you've been to Chicago or you've been to New York, you sort of know like the language code. And for me, even my mental self-talk that goes through my head is there's curse words involved. I'm gonna be me. I would much rather you dislike me for cursing and being so direct and just make the decision not to follow me than me pretend to be someone that I'm not when I'm on camera, when I'm at events speaking, and then you see me behind the scenes and it's like, who is that guy? That's not even the same guy we just saw on stage. It's not even the same guy that I saw in the videos. Like I am always going to be unapologetically, authentically me. Okay. And if that means that I push some people off because they don't like hearing curse words, that's fine. Okay. If it means that some people don't like me because of how direct I am when I coach them or when I help them, that's fine. But the people that I work with in our mastermind, the, the clients that we have, all of them know that everything I say to them, no matter what it's wrapped in as far as verbiage goes, is because I want them to succeed and because I love them. And I'm going to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And it's funny because I will usually give some very direct, transparent feedback to people. And I tell them, I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear right now. And I'm doing it because I love you and I want to see you get better and succeed. And I can almost guarantee that I'm going to say this to you and you're going to hang up from this call and you'll be like, fuck Adam. Adam is an asshole. Like, I, I hate that dude. But I guarantee in 48 hours, you're going to think back to our conversation and you're going to be like, you know what? Adam was the only person that's ever said that to me. And there's a reason he said it to me. And it's because he actually does care about me. He wants to see me get better. He wants to see me succeed. It's not about the, the words, the rapping. It's about the intent behind the words. Okay. It's about really what, what is the, what's in the heart of the person saying these words. And again, you're going to hear us use some language that's not used in the martial arts industry on this podcast. But it's because I encourage everyone around me to be authentic. I don't want anyone to be fake. I don't want anyone to change themselves 
because I, they think I want them to be a certain way. And I don't expect anyone to do that with me either. Okay. One of the, one of the worst presentations I've ever given at an event was at an event where they asked me not to curse. And I was at this event and uh, I'm, I'm speaking and I'm, I'm giving one of my favorite presentations on how to go from a school owner to a CEO. And in this presentation, I use colorful language. Not crazy, but I use some colorful language. And I just felt restricted. I felt like I was showing a version of myself that was not authentically me. And I gave the same presentation or a similar presentation at our summit. And it was funny. There was uh, uh, Alan DePena, if he's watching this. I remember he came up to me and he's like, man, I saw you speak at, at the this, this skills event that I was at. And like the content was good, but he's like, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just like being honest. He goes, the, the presentation just wasn't there. Like the delivery of it just wasn't there. And he goes, seeing you on stage this weekend, you are like a totally different person, like totally transformed in how you speak and your delivery. And I, I thought that was a great compliment. I appreciate you, Alan, for that. Um, but I think part of the reason my first presentation my, that he saw was so poor on the delivery side is because I felt like I had to restrain myself. I felt like I had to hold back of being me. And after that event, I was like, well, I'm never, I'm never going to do that again where I'm not my authentic self at an event. Like if they're like, hey, we want you to present, but we don't really want you to curse, I'm, I'm going to, hey, I politely decline. And it's because I need to be my authentic self. I need, I need to be who I am to get, deliver the best presentation uh, because I don't do fake. Next, I don't buy liabilities. If it's not an asset, I don't need it. Businesses make money. Money goes into stocks, gold, and real estate. If my money isn't making money, that I'm not building a legacy for my kids. Um, if you know anything about my history, uh, I was not good with money at a young age. I, I burned through it. Like uh, I, I, ha I was making good money as a martial arts instructor slash uh, studio manager. Uh, I was also making pretty decent money DJing three days a week uh, at different clubs around Chicago. So I had a lot of income, but at the end of the year, I had $0 to my name. I had no money left over. And it's just because I wanted to party. I wanted to drink. I wanted to like go do all what I thought was this fun stuff. And I was never thinking further ahead than the weekend. It was always about like, what am I going to do this weekend? Like, how am I going to get people to like me? Like, what's some cool stuff I can do to get attention? Um, and it, if I had to go back and do it, did I have fun? Absolutely, I had fun. All right. But would I trade that to take that money and actually put it into things that would have set up my family's future better or kids' future and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely I would have. So now, though, I can go back and I can learn from that. And I can say, you know what? I messed up. I wasn't careful with my money. I didn't invest it like I should have. I just kept spending and spending and spending. So what did I do? I started studying money. Okay, I read first. I read the first book I read on money was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it changed my life. It changed my relationship with money. It changed how I thought about money. And instead of spending things, then I started thinking about, well, how do I make my money work for itself? And then I started taking more courses on developing passive income, more courses on investing and, and what works for investing for different people. And then I took that and I was like, well, what, what do I want to invest in? What gets me excited to make more money? And for me, it's businesses, it's gold, and now it's real estate. So those are the things that I invest in more than anything else because those are the things that excite me and those are the things that I know are gonna help me get a return on my, on my income. I know that anything in the martial arts industry, because I've been in this industry so long, if I invest in a martial arts 
themed business, I will be able to get a return on my income because I know how to make it work over and over again. Same thing for fitness. If it's a fitness business, I invest in it. I know how to get my money back over and over again. So I stay in my lane with what I'm good at investing at and getting returns at, and that's it. And then I also don't buy liabilities anymore, right? I, I created, when I was first trying to get good at money, I created a 72-hour rule for myself, okay? Which meant if I wanted to buy something that was over $100, I had to wait 72 hours, and then at the end of 72 hours, if I still wanted to buy it, I could go ahead and buy it and not feel guilty about it. So what would happen is it would get rid of all of my impulse buys, okay? Because I was very much someone that would go and spend money based on my current state of emotion, all right? So if I felt really good because I finished a project or I accomplished something, I would celebrate by going and buying myself something stupid, okay? Or if I was angry or in a bad mood, I would go and buy myself as a coping, buy something to, uh, as a coping mechanism for how I was feeling. It eliminated all of that, okay? That 72-hour rule. So if you're someone that feels like you can't control your spending, do that. If you're someone that's listening to this and be like, Adam, that's cool, but I have so much debt right now, I just, I don't even know how I'm gonna get out of it. I encourage you guys to, to take Dave Ramsey's course. Like my wife and I took this when we were first uh, married or, or, or engaged even. Um, and we learned how to eliminate debt through that course. The, the only thing I'm gonna add though is when you take it, it's good to help get out of debt, but then you have to start also increasing your income and the revenue that's coming in at the same time because it will help you to pay out debt faster. Okay, and then once debt is paid off, your personal debt, start investing, okay? Start using your money to make more money. Um, uh, his course is perfect if you're not someone that's financially disciplined. If you're already financially disciplined, okay, you have a different relationship with debt and how you use it for investments, which I'm not gonna cover in this video because I'm not an uh, uh, investment expert uh, or a, a financial manager or anything like that, so we'll leave that to the experts. Okay, number nine, I will teach my children the things that I wish I learned at their age. They will understand wealth building and wealth management. They will continually work on emotional intelligence and they will have the best manners possible. Um, I have three boys and one of the things that I really started to think of in the last three years is what are the skills that I'm going to empower them with so that they can have a better life than I had? Right, it's not saying that I had a bad life. All right, like I, there's definitely hurdles. Like I lost my mom when I was 16 years old. Uh, I was couch surfing and homeless for a couple years uh, until I was able to afford my 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 own apartment when I was 18. Um, so I've been through some shit, but overall, like I'm so grateful for the life that I've had up to this point. And the reason I'm saying that is, I still think I can give my kids a much better upbringing than I had. Like if I think about things I wish I learned at a younger age. I wish I was way better with money at a younger age. I wish I, I had a better relationship with money. My limiting belief was that Kuifers were not good with money. Okay, and I used to tell myself that. So because I started to believe that, I'm like, I'm not good with money anyway, so I might as well just spend it. Okay, I had to change my mindset on that and be like, no, Kuifers will always be great with money. We will always be smart with it. We will see it as what it is, which is a tool. We'll use it to create more passive income. We'll use it to create legacies for future generations. So in order for that to happen, my relationship with money had to change, but I also had to educate my kids on what their relationship with money should be. 
So one of the things my seven-year-old and I do, we do we do uh, money or financial Fridays where I will work on my investments. I'll allocate all my funds to where they need to be in different accounts for based on putting in our profit account, expense account, uh, uh building reserves at the beginning and all of that stuff. So we'd allocate the money in the right places and everything. And then we sit down with my son and we look at his allowance for the week and we say, Hey, what, what do you want to do with this? Like you have some options, right? So option one is we can spend, but once we spend, we don't have that money anymore. Option two is to grow it, which means it's like a seed. We plant this money in stocks. We plant it in silver, gold, Okay, whatever you want to do, we plant it somewhere and then we're going to wait for it to grow. Okay, and then the third option is save it. Fourth option would be give it away or donate it. So we created systems for what percentage goes where for our kids based on conversations with them, right? So my son will take about 25% of his allowance and he's going to use that for his spend. So that'll stay in his piggy bank. And if he wants to buy something at Target, that's going to come from the money in his piggy bank, right? The investment part is about 50% of what he brings in. And we sit down and he decides what it's going into. So like he wanted to buy Roblox stock. So we put it in Roblox stock. He wanted to buy Disney stock. So we put it in Disney stock. We put it where he wants to go. And then I just sort of help to guide him on those things. And then it just sits there. And he'll be like, dad, what's my stock set today? And the cool thing was, we were at uh, uh, we were at someone's house for Halloween. Sorry, I was trying to remember which holiday it was. So we were at someone's house for Halloween, and their kids are the same age as our kids. And uh, I, I see my seven year old talking to their seven year old, and he's talking about stocks <laughs> to another seven year old. And I'm looking over there, and the seven year old that he's talking to is just like looking. I'm like, what what language are you speaking right now? I don't even understand the words that are coming into your mouth. Just shut up and let's play with our cars already. Like you could see that seven-year-old was just like, I don't even know what it's talking about. But then one of the parents came over to me and they're like, did I just hear your kid talking about stocks? And I was like, I was like, yeah, one of my goals has been to educate him on, on investing and, and we're working on that. And he's, he's really showing an interest into it, ask, asking a lot of questions about money and how it works and investments and all of this stuff. Um, and income, like he, he asked all the time, like, dad, how much money did the business make this, this month? Or he goes, how much money are, are you going to make this year? What are we going to invest it into? Like he's asking those type of questions at age seven, which is awesome. I didn't even know those questions to ask when I was seven years old, but the, she's like, where are you learning this? And I, or where is he learning this? And I was like, well, it's from me. It's from me taking the time to, to make sure I educate myself in these topics so that I could pass on this information to my kids. And I go, the second part of it is like at our martial arts school. Now we intentionally focus on teaching money management and financial intelligence so that these kids at a young age are learning to do the same thing. Okay. They're learning to sit down with their parents and, and really focus on, Hey, what do we do with this money? How do we make smart decisions with this money so that we're set up for future success even better? And she's like at a martial arts school. She's like, I thought martial arts were just kicking and punching. I was like, at a bad martial arts school, it is just kicking and punching. At good martial arts schools, it's about so much more than that. So the the cool thing and just bringing this home is you guys have the opportunity, as Ed, Ed Milet says, to change your family tree forever. Okay, But it takes one person to change what your last name is going to mean in the future. Okay, 
when I think about my last name, Kiefer, okay, up to this point, and there's no disrespect to my parents, grandparents, anything, up to this name uh, point, I don't really feel like it's ever had a meaning, okay? I want to make the last name Kiefer, 100 years from now, be one of the most respected, well-known names because of the decisions I'm making right now for the future, right? And I want to make my last name mean something more 100 years from now than it does right now. And in order to do that, in your family, it takes one person to make drastically different changes from what has been happening in previous generations. And my commitment to my family is that I'm going to be that person. I'm going to change our family tree forever. I'm going to change what our last name means forever by working on myself, by gaining more knowledge, by implementing more, and really doing everything I can to educate the next generation of Kaifers on how to do things even better than I did. And that's my promise, and that's sort of the the motivation and the purpose behind that specific core value. All right, last thing here, and then we're done. I appreciate you guys staying on this journey with me. Core value number 10 for myself is lead with love. Money is a byproduct of building relationships. When you lead with love first, you're always looking to give first and never looking to take. Um, what's the stereotype for rich people? That they're assholes, right? For some reason, society as a general, in general, thinks most rich people are assholes. But if we think about it, people like Elon Musk, he does more for more people than all the people that are saying he's an asshole. How many jobs does he employ? How much money does he give to good causes? Like he set up Wi-Fi for free in Ukraine. You can't do that without money. These people that are saying, oh, all rich people are assholes, it comes out of a place of envy. Okay, It comes out of a place of jealousy. It comes out of a place of not knowing how to reach that level of success. So let's just talk bad about that person. Instead of approaching that situation with curiosity and, and thinking, how do they get to this place where they're able to have such a big impact on humanity because of the money that they have? Well, I guarantee there is a purpose or a vision that started Okay, and I guarantee their inner circle that they built has come from a place of relationship building. All right. So for me, money is a byproduct of relationships. What I mean by that is every time I lead with love, every time that I lead with empathy, which I was horrible at for the longest period of my life, but every time I do that, something good happens in return. Okay, and it might not be immediate. It might be a year down the road. It might be two months down the road, however long. But every time I lead with love, love comes back. Sometimes it comes back in the form of relationships. Sometimes it comes back in the form of income, revenue. Sometimes it comes back in the form of opportunities. But when you lead with love, good things happen. Um, small example of this. At a, a team member who lost his dad recently. And uh, he reached out to me like the week that he lost his dad. And he goes, man, I, I hate asking to do this. Is there any way I can get an advance on my next check? Putting myself in his shoes, leading with empathy means absolutely hell yes. Like we will we will take care of it for you. Um, there, there's also just been people in my life that uh, I'm not opening a door here, so please don't hit me up asking for this. But there's been people in my life that are just like, hey, Adam, uh, I'm going through a tough time. Like, can you just lend me $1,000, $5,000, whatever? And 
it's always going to be for those people in my inner circle, an absolute yes. Like, yes, I'm going to lead with love. And most times it's not even alone. It's like, Hey, just use this, like get out of your situation. Don't worry about paying it back. And like, I'm not, I'm not going into those column transactions. I'm not going to those transactions expecting anything in, in return. It's about making sure that like, Hey, if I was in their shoes, how would I feel? Number one, asking someone for that help because it is hard. Okay. That's, it's, you don't feel good when you have to ask someone for help with money or help for a lot of things in general. If you're in a bad place, like it's uh, there's a sense of embarrassment that comes with it. So I'm, I'm thinking if I was in their place, like I would have, first of all, had to probably have a lot of internal dialogue to even ask that question. And I probably don't feel good about asking it in the first place. And then third part, if I'm asking it in the first place, I'm probably in a pretty bad place and I just need someone to believe in me. I just need someone to lead with love in this situation. And I've had people in my life that have, have been that example when I was in tough times or hard times where it was just like, man, I don't know what to do. I, I just need your help with this. I need you to, I need you to direct me in what to do or, or if you can extend this, I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back, whatever it is. And I still remember each and every time that this happened where I had someone else show love to me in those situations when I really needed it. And for me, it's not about leading with sales numbers in mind. It's not about leading with revenue in mind first. It's about, well, how can I use my heart to make better change for the people that I'm working with, for the people in my life and the people in my inner circle? And uh, again, when you, when you start thinking with that mentality, so much more comes back to you in return. Lead with love, invest in the relationships of the people around you. It's going to make a drastic difference in your life. Guys, this is our, our first official episode of the Relentless CEO podcast uh, with its new name. Thank you for coming along with this ride with me. You're going to see some one-on-one -on -one podcasts. We're going to have a lot of guests coming in as well over the next few weeks. Uh, we got lots of events coming up as well that we're going to be talking about. And then we also have some really cool free training opportunities that we're going to be providing for everyone in the martial arts industry. So we're really excited about what we're doing because we see it serving our, our longer mission and purpose of getting this industry to where it should actually be, getting it the respect it should actually have. And I'm so excited for you guys to come along with this journey with us and be a part of this movement and be a part of what we are building to take this industry to the next level. See you guys in the next episode.